Welcome to The Curious Cult Show. My name is Nick Haralambis and I am your obsessively curious host. And in season two, we are discussing why people start things. If you like this show, please like, subscribe and share anywhere and everywhere. That will help us grow this incredibly curious community. For now, enjoy this episode. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of The Curious Cult Show, where we are talking to smart people about their crazy curiosities and why they start stuff. And today I'm sitting with Ori. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome and great to be here. It's been a very long time since you and I have spoken or seen each other in person. I can't even count, maybe nearly 10 years. Uh, who can tell? So why don't we kick off with you telling my listeners and viewers who you are and why they should be listening to you? Sure, Ori Okolo. Um, currently, I guess in between jobs and a bit of a sabbatical of sorts, taking some time off to figure out what I want to start next, uh, which uh, is appropriate, I think, for this podcast. I am serving on a number of boards at the moment, including uh, Stanbeck Bank and the Van Leer Group Foundation and the Tom Thompson Writers Founders Trust. So, spending a bit more time uh, doing governance work. Uh, previously, I headed up uh, Omedia Network and Luminates Group work in Africa. I did that for about seven years, early stage impact and impact investing. Before that, I was Google's first head of policy and strategy for Sub-Saharan Africa. Before that, I uh, was a co-founder of uh, Oshahidi, a well-known crowdsourcing software platform. Uh, and Zalendo that's still running in Kenya now, kind of a parliament watch website that's now one of the, I think, premier uh, parliament uh, uh, watch websites around the world uh, and definitely in Africa. And uh, before that, I was a lawyer, uh, so my recovery was... That's great. All these really cool, all these interesting things. And then uh, before that, I was a lawyer. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so quite an interesting background and I'm a mom of uh, three lovely girls, um, 12, aged uh, 13, 11 and 8, all interesting yeah. ages and uh, living in uh, Nairobi at the moment. Amazing. The first observation is how many interesting people I know and speak to who were part of the Ushahidi founding team. It's like the little your, uh, Africa's version of the PayPal mafia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, without the money, hopefully that's coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Sheesh, that would be amazing. Okay, well, that it's incredible. I mean, what a great career. So let's kick off. Can you remember the very first difficult thing that you started or set your mind to? What was it and what was that like? So I'd say the most difficult thing was um, school, actually, a decision around which law school I wanted to attend. Uh, I, was, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, when I was younger, I was very driven by social justice human rights and felt the law was a useful tool um, to address the issues that I cared about. But at the same time, I found myself in the U.S. for school and I knew going to an American law school was going to be very hard to come back and practice in Kenya, which I knew I wanted to come back at some point. And so figuring out which school I could get into that both gave me a great education but the freedom to do all the many things that I've ended up doing. Um, was was hard and I had lots of scholarships and, and, and offers from many other schools but I turned them down. Uh, I had free rides basically to uh, at least 10 other schools for law school in the US which is, is, is huge. 
But I turned them down to go to Harvard, which uh, sounds like a not very hard decision. But I think at that (laughs) point, when you're you're thinking about the debt and how you're going to balance kind of your interest in in social justice with a big uh, debt, and um, but I think I chose the path of, of freedom. I, I knew that with a Harvard Law degree, um, I'd be able to parlay into so many other things and I wouldn't necessarily be boxing into one. So that was one. And, and I think following on that was then freeing myself to be anchored solely by the things that I care about and by my purpose. Um, and what do I mean? Like, that's my North Star. I think there's so many things that come at you and so, you know, why don't you make a bit of money first? Why don't you... Um, you know, have a proper job first and build out your resume. And I think once I, I you, you know, and, 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 and why don't you put up having kids for a bit and move up the ladder, uh, who leaves a job at Google to do something else? Uh, I think uh, freeing myself to really, really always focus on what I care about and, and what at that particular point in time was also, it, it looks very clever right now, but I think at the time when you make those decisions, that's really hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. So do you remember, I mean, it sounds like part of that decision to go to Harvard was also, um, there was some fear and fear of failure involved in that. Do you remember ever being held back by any feelings of failure or fear to doing something? Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> all the time, actually. In fact, I remember the, the first day when I got there, I was like, this must be some big uh, mistake. And uh, <laughs> like they're going to bust me at some point and realize they should not have let me in. And uh, we had like a mock class with Elizabeth Warren, now Senator Warren, and, and it was kind of big. She, was a, she taught contract law at the time. And uh, she was a terror, right? She it was like all those books that you read in the movies, what else? And I mean, she would just eviscerate you, you know, in wow. class through the Socratic method. And I think just sitting there being like, please don't call on me, don't call on me. <laughs> that is great. Everyone is going to discover that I'm dumb and I'm here by mistake. And so I think there's, you, as you get older, you know, you realize there are all this, I think a fear, maybe it's called, either it's imposter syndrome or fear that people are going to realize that you don't really know um, as much as you, you think they do. And then I, I think also all my career moves have always, I mean, like I said, in retrospect, they seem really smart, but at the moment when I make the decision, all sorts of things could go wrong. Um, Whether it was a decision to move back right after law school, which was not Mm. smart at the time, definitely. (laughs) Uh, I had debt, I was broke, I was back in my mother's house because I knew I wanted to come back um, home. Um, Mm -hmm. I come from another very privileged family and so, Everyone was like, you went to Harvard Law School and you've come back to Kenya. <laughs> what exactly? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then had a great job lined up in DC, at Covington and Burling. Uh, you know, so that was one. And then another, I think, to then move to South Africa to be with uh, my now husband, which also definitely all sorts of things could just go wrong. I had to start again professionally. I was moving mm. for some guy. I didn't, you know, you know, not really dated for so long. And and so I think the underlying, if you can look at the thread there is also my gut. Like definitely there have been mm. lots of um, fear moments, fear of failure, fear of being wrong, fear of being broke, 
fear of screwing up the privilege that, you know, I feel I have some level of privilege and ever, you know, be like, you've, all the sacrifices have been made and what are you doing again? You know, even with Ushahide, my mom would be like, you, this is a non-profit. Help me, help me understand. Harvard like, Lord takes non-profits. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> what is going on? And so, it definitely, the, the lots of many moments of pain. It doesn't really stop, no matter you know um, uh, how many times you make big decisions. But I think over time we realize, number one, that nobody really knows what they're doing, right? Like, you, I keep. <laughs> I keep waiting for 43 now, and I still feel like I kind of still I'm not quite sure. Um, and and I think overcoming that one, realizing that generally people, you know, they ha might have some framework or mental models or whatever experience, but everyone is always consistently trying to figure out. So you get better. You you know you're 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 less fearful about making big decisions. And I also I think when I was thinking through this question. Um, go back to when my kids were learning how to walk and you know i just i'm always so fascinated by that process because there's uh, that hesitation the fear of letting go and then one day they they let go and they're like aha oh okay i can do this and then they keep falling and getting up and falling and getting up and falling and getting up until one day they're just running off and so whenever i i, I think about just that process so when you let go and you say look the worst thing that you do is going to fall on your butt and then you're going to get up and try again uh is 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 how i try to overcome it but it doesn't really i think go it gets better maybe easier and in terms of taking the jumps when you realize actually mm. you can recover uh but i think that niggling feeling that uh what the hell am i doing when you're making big decisions uh, never ever really goes away and i think it's healthy uh, to to maintain some level of that yeah, I agreed fully. Uh, I've started saying to people, how, how do you about, deal? <laughs> yeah, it's it's so difficult. You said so, so many funny. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like and it never goes away. It's something that people mistake, right? And I think even with you and your career, they they like you've been saying they look back at your decisions and they seem smart, but at the time when you're making them, you know that they're crazy. You know that no one's going to understand, and you know that the chances are, the odds are, you're going to fail. Like statistically you are going to fail. Like, that's how this works. When you started with Shahidi, mm. when you start everything you do, the chances are statistics tell you you will fail. And that's why for years I've said that I feel like entrepreneurs are slightly broken because we mm. do that in spite of the stats, we do these stupid things. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny, this, this theme of failure has come up more and more in the conversations I've had with people, so much so that I've done research and come around this uh, concept called post-traumatic growth. And it's a psychological uh, concept that has been studied in psychology for the last 20 or 30 years. Theory is that no matter how bad the trauma you experience, humans improve after a trauma. They find a way mm. to improve. And I've kind of internalized that as the way that I you look at failure. Every failure is a way that I've learned to be better. And when you frame it yep. that way, then I seek it out. I actually go towards it. And I mean, in, in people I've interviewed, it's been so interesting. Uh, the Starbucks founder, Electronic Arts, all these smart people, they never talk about failure. They talk about the lessons. 
And that's such an interesting thing. And they don't mm. see failure as this end point. It's always a through point mm. that they had to get through. And I think you're saying the same thing, right? You do it and then you're like, oh, I didn't die. Cool, let's move on. Yeah. Exactly. And then and yeah. I'm better for it. As you said, most of the time, uh, exactly. you end up better, smarter, um, you know, more resilient, etc. So definitely, uh, I can yeah. watch for that. Yeah, and I feel like, and I don't know if you feel the same, but as I've gotten older, I've started to recognize the failures as lessons more. But when I was in my 20s, it was more of an ego damage. Now in my 30s, mm. I'm like, hell yeah, that was amazing. I learned something, let's move forward because my ego is lessened. Mm. I think that's true. And, and also in your 20s, there's a lot of pressure, right? You're just trying to like check box and this and where am I at? And okay, and then you're, you're, you're also think you know everything. And so any little day you're like, <laughs> very personal you're like what yeah uh and then you realize no it's not personal it's, 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 it's no one's out to get you uh, it's not you about you up, or you just or you just took uh, too big of a risk to see and you know just move on and, and you'll be fine yeah yeah so i'm quite curious about growing uh, you grew up in nairobi right yes i did so, I mean, I, I've traveled to Nairobi a lot and honestly, the friendliest people in the world. But I'm curious if that translates to how you were brought up. Did the people around you when you were younger tell you that you could do and be anything and they supported you regardless? Or what kind of an upbringing did you have? Yes, yeah, so um, I was definitely very supported in, in different ways by my, my parents. Um, my dad were two girls and he was under pressure to keep going till he had a boy, you know, it was very patriarchal society then, still yeah. is now. And I remember him having conversations with my granddad. He's like, no, you know, what, why do I need a son? I mean, I have two, two girls here and they can do anything that boys can do, if not, and better probably. So there's definitely a very strong influence on him in terms of his his pride in me he, he was quite stubborn and always just you know never gave up and, and and would push for things and i think i have definitely inherited that side of him uh but i think most importantly i, I was i was quite a precocious um kid and grew up uh, like i said not a very privileged environment and I was this kid who, like, I read extremely early, you know, I was reading newspapers, yeah, like, end to end. I would just read everywhere. And, like, I had any house I'd go to, I'd just find magazines, books, etc. Um, very independent thinker. And there these two, you know, they were young. They'd never, uh, just high school education. Uh, you know, my mom didn't even finish high school. And they have this kid who's just, like, absorbing everything and is moving so quickly and is like independent and heck to their credit they just let left me alone with that right like and i had i was quirky i was like i hated dresses uh i wanted you know to wear only certain kinds of clothes i didn't want to look like a girl uh they want my hair done like i was never a girly girl never right and so all of these things you throw them in the environment that they were in and you can imagine like okay what do we do with this one um and and then it's the first kid right so they have no even like yeah sort of experience whatever and to their credit they kind of yeah they just they left me alone number one to be nerdy and quick and then they figured out how to 
I guess, nurture it in the best way that they could with the resources that they had. So I remember my mom going to auctions for expatriates leaving and just buying books, like whatever books, because they couldn't really buy, afford to buy new books, etc. I would just, just come home with a, a box of books and I just would devour them and then that uh, developed sort of my range of things and interests because you just read what was in there, you didn't really have a choice. Um, it, you know, my dad worked with an airline and so he'd get free tickets and we used them. Like, and he made friends all over the world when he was working at the airport. And so we would go places with like no money, like basically just someone hosting us, but the ticket was free. And so I got to travel at a very young age. He put me on planes by myself, like for my wow. six, uh, to go to like friends and relatives and stuff because, you know, he could get the ticket. And so this, f figuring out, okay, she's kind of different. How do we nurture that? And all of these decisions were hard, you can imagine at the time, yeah. uh, and especially now as a parent, putting your kid on a plane. I mean, these were like no cell phone days, no nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, letting me just sort of do my own thing with minimal supervision. And I think finally they, they put me in a, uh, <laughs> a school they couldn't afford um, for, for, for my primary school, which was critical because at that time the government schools were great. You just went to, you know, the school that you could walk to mm. uh, next door and, and, you know, and it was affordable, almost free actually. And they did the opposite. They put me in uh, private school because I think they realized that I would not do well in public school and they were right. Um, but at the time I hated it because like, we were, okay, I didn't, I loved the school, but it was socially, I didn't fit in, right? Because now you're with the well-to-do kids, well with us. And I heard, you know, the worst stationery, the, <laughs> the cheapest like school bag, the cheapest like lunchbox, uh, was, you, you know, always behind on school fees, like permanently for the whole time. Yeah. And I kept saying like, why don't they just put me in a school? Like, <laughs> but, mm. you know, especially as a kid, because there's then all that stigma that comes with that. Did you verbalize and, that to them? No, because, you know, First, they're African parents, I think, <laughs> probably be <laughs> not alive. Of course, I could see the sacrifice, right? So I wasn't like, I was thinking more of like this, I just want to help them. Like, I, I can see this is a huge strain, right? And so, um, not being pissed off at them, but just like, I think they're yeah. easier things that these empathy yeah could do this yeah so it was more mm -hmm. from an empathy so i think because i did see the sacrifice and the strain and you know by the time you realize that this is actually you you know was so critical in the rest of my life uh, i never told them that until much much wow. much later on as, as an adult uh you know you just suck it up and, and you you know you get on with it uh, yeah you'd be a teenager wow exactly that's amazing <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny how parents, they think that they're doing the right thing by you, regardless of how you can respond to it and react to it. It's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. I don't have kids, but I do. I understand that, like, sacrifice, which is really interesting. Yeah, so so I'd say, you know, short answer, I was definitely uh, felt supported, felt encouraged, grew up in an environment, and then finally, obviously, teachers have been critical to me through my life, where mm. I've been fortunate to come across people who see something in me that I don't see in myself. 
Um, and I've learned to actively seek that out now, where someone says, why aren't you, come first, you know, so, so it says, come, let's, let's, I take that up. Um, I've had mm. teachers who've, who've said, you know, you, you know, you're special, you're different. I rarely come across students like you. Um, I think you're underachieving in this area. I think you could do this. And just pushing, right? You, you, you could be a leader and just need to do one or two or three things. So I think I've also been extremely fortunate to find, come across people who've taken, and not mentors, though, just sometimes it's just one conversation that changes the yeah. trajectory. Um, and learning to seek that out, I think, you, you know, normally, as you grow, you know, and when you're an undergrad, a professor tells you, come see me in my office, let's have lunch, you're like, eh, I have other things I could be doing. Uh, but I've learned to, I learned very quickly that if someone calls you and says, yeah. you know, let's take that. I want to mm. learn what you don't all the time, all the time. Mm. Yeah. I am quite interested in what you're saying in relation to how it's kind of molded your career, because I've had a similar, similar people pull me and say things like that to me from a very young age, and it, it put a lot of pressure on me. But I come from a very privileged position of being a white male. So mm. that is that is more expected. It's easier to go, oh, yeah, of course, I'm amazing. I had Greek parents who thought the sun like shone when I woke up. Like, of course. <laughs> what what was it like going through those sorts of experiences as a black female from Kenya? Like that, how does that feel and how does it shape your career trajectory and the pressure on you in these, I mean, you've, you've worked at some of the biggest, best companies in the world. How does it, how do you fit this all in your head? It's, it's, it must be a lot of pressure. It is a lot, right? There's, there's definitely the sense that you feel, uh, you know, it's like when you're the only black person in the room, like <laughs> one to represent, represent well. Um, you know, make sure that even if you're the only person, you're opening up the door for other people uh, to come in. So there's a pressure, one of just doing your job well, um, two of, of, of re representation. I think three, you know, the angry black woman phenomenon, because of the, the things that will be happening and I just be like, you know, excuse me, that, that, that. <laughs> Wait, what? And especially in global companies where the perceptions of Africa, you know, then are maybe not well informed. And so, you know, pushing for the either inclusion of certain things or programs or funding, it is it's a constant battle. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever had a job where I just show up and I'm like, yeah, I'm here just to do my job, you know, whatever. Uh, there's, there's pressure always. Um, and, and how do you frame things? How do you, um, again, you, you know, and it's draining sometimes because you're then always pushing for yeah. either more diversity for this. I, I, it's, it's, it's draining, I'd say. Um, sometimes it's, it's um, I think, then finding allies and learning it took me probably longer than it should have. Um, uh, managing up, I, I just feel that there are lots of different things that come at you from when you wake up in the morning. And I compare this someone like you, you just wake up, like you said, and you're yeah, I'm, I'm makeup awesome. Hey, you know what's happening? So it's a lot. I'd love, I'd love to have that freedom, right? Because I, yeah. I do feel sometimes that you second guess yourself all the time, you, you know, if there's a comment, you're like, was that a comment? Was that, 
uh, was that uh, evaluation of my performance? Um, was there something underlying it, or did I just not do my job well? Was it yeah. that my manager has issues? And uh, I, I think it's it's tough. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I, I'd like to think that I've because opportunities keep coming at me. I, I think I, I try and do what others have done. Where people be like, oh, actually, why don't we have two or three other four other ores? So you stick it in there, basically. So yeah. That, uh, you, you want to give up too quickly, but I'd say it's, it's it's frustrating. I mean, I have quit managers, right? Because at some point, I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I don't, know. you know, it's so I, I was, crazy, yeah. Ari. Like so, it's yeah. you you have um, beautifully and simply verbalized the privilege that most white men don't ever understand that I get to go and just do my job every day. I'm not fighting for a race. I'm not trying to leave a door open. I'm not trying to get more people like me in the door every single day. All I do is go to work and do my job. And that is the simplest form that I've heard of explaining this privilege that I have. So thank you. That was incredible. Yeah, and I hadn't even thought about it. I mean, but I, I haven't verbalized it when I say, I mean, I, I, even when I look at, and it's not just white men, it's men actually. Um, yeah. you know, that, uh, so white men is sort of <laughs> the pinnacle of the douchebags. But men generally, and, and sometimes I've had to orient myself just by watching him because he would go on business trips and he's gone. He's not like, how's the house doing? How are the kids? Has everyone eaten? Has everyone I travel with male colleagues a lot when I was at Google and mm. they were always like, free you know they switch it's, off yeah yes someone's taking care of shit at home and at some points people is asking how do you juggle and this and the kids and whatever i said you know what i switch off to i have a partner i'm trusting that yeah. kids will be fine i've not left yeah. them in the bush somewhere and uh <laughs> yeah yeah, but and I mean, again, I it's amazing you even have to explain that. The fact that you have to explain, like, how do you balance it all? No one's ever asked me that, ever. Yeah. I stopped answering that question at, at, at panels. I'd be like... If, really? Yeah. If you, unless you're asking the man Everyone. sitting next to me, I'm not answering it. And at some point, Good I was like, you. you know, with the profile that I have, you know, the same, like... Um, I'm more recognized as a big profile. I don't see any of the men uh, with my profile being asked how they manage travel and work and whatever. And, you know, or I'd, I'd say like silly things. I'd say, you know, that's, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, I left my kids out in the world. <laughs> I left them on the streets out there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, <laughs> I, I, hope that, I hope they're fine. <laughs> That is amazing. Okay, so let's let's move on. I have gathered from your story about your parents buying you random boxes of books that you are quite a curious person by nature. I'd say extremely curious. <laughs> yeah, intellectually though, yeah. How has that informed and dictated uh, your trajectory? Like curious people in my experience, they are obsessive and rabbits. They're, they're like squirrels all over. So how how do you zone that in? How has it affected your life? Oh, I'm I'm still a rabbit all over. I think for <laughs> if you look at my resume, 
<laughs> there's a kind of a story that I tell, but it's a bullshit story because <laughs> honestly, it's it's you know, and, and of course, there's you know, there is a theme. The theme is that I, I care tremendously about the continent and, and about Kenya and and trying to be in places where my work is either improving my country and then the people uh, who live in it and I think creating opportunities um, so that more people are not dependent on luck, right? Uh, like I got lucky that if I look at my neighbors, the kids we grew up with, the kids I went to school with, uh, my life could have been completely different and that people I yeah. know who are smarter, more talented than I am, who just never got whatever. And so, you know, the theme is trying to make it better for the next generation of African kids that they, um, um, whether it's through tech or through investing or whatever, that people have more mm. opportunities. So there's a theme generally. Yeah. And then of, of course I care about leadership, politics, ETC, that's other thing. Everything else in between is all over the place, driven by just my intellectual curiosity. And so I, I get bored very easily. Um, so, I mean, I've, in all my jobs, I've done like, I've had careers within a job, right? Like, because, uh, so my title says one thing, but if you look yeah. at what I'm doing within the organization, people will be like, why do you sleep? I'm like, no, it's fine. Just leave me alone. <laughs> and it's fine. I, 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 I can't do like one thing. Right. So I've, I've been yeah. even with jobs, I've been entrepreneurial within jobs, right? So that's the other way I scratch my itch. I say, okay, why are we doing this? And people fairly the, the companies that are smart just realize, oh, we can get a lot of you know, we can get like, let, let it go, let it go. One. Yeah. Yeah, we can, <laughs> we can do the jobs of three people who just give us yeah. peace. Uh, it was definitely like that at Google and so you know, I had the room to develop the uh, new projects, interesting things. Um, but I'd say I, I've just come to make peace with it. I used to be very apologetic about the fact that I have, you know, mm. I'm all over. Um, I balance it out now. They, and, and for people to free you is, means that you do your core job. It's not at the expense of that. Um, yeah. I, I believe in, in excellence in, in terms of the work, excellence in terms of if I'm learning something new, once I learn it, I do it extremely well. Um, and then balance that out with other interests. I, I think also, I, I'm the kind of person, so let's say that with impact investing, how I got in there, uh, people kept coming to me, hey, Ori, you know, what's the latest in tech? Which, which startups should we be looking at? What are the trends? Uh, you see, they're all like white men flying in from the US and the UK coming to invest in Africa. Uh, and then pinging me and they're getting paid and I was like, wait a minute, first of all, like, um, this know, is some bullshit. Um, yeah, this is like, yeah. pick your brain, like bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pick your brain. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. Oh, I don't, I don't do that anymore. So that's like, how hard can it be? Like, I don't know anything about investing. I want to learn and then I want to be the person who's actually doing the investments sitting in Africa, and that's exactly what I did. Right? So a lot of <laughs> jobs have, or moves that I've made are really driven by it. Like, hmm, either I want to fix this and what's the platform that will allow me to do that? Um, or I want to learn something new. I've done, you know, my three, four years and I can do this now in my sleep and 
am very miserable when I'm not like running at um, you know 200 k's an hour. Like I'm, I'm actually miserable, um, and so I've I've just made peace with that. That the I need to do many things at the same time. I figured out a way to do it without compromising on the quality of work. And I, I thrive on it. I thrive on learning. I thrive on just learning random shit. Like I'm that person, right? I say, oh, let me read an article. I don't know on bats in whatever. Like it has nothing to do with anything. What? I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I think it's it's Charlie Munger and Bill Gates who have said that their favorite letter exchange with one another was about the habits, the mating habits of naked moles. Now. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Two of the wealthiest people in the world's favorite conversations is about mating habits of naked moles. So what is the most arbitrary thing you've put yourself through learning? Oh, God. I, I, I'd say... It's, I haven't maybe deliberately sat down and said, okay, let me just go learn something new. But I do, I do the Sunday reads on Twitter. I've done it now for 11 years, which is crazy. Um, wow. So I'm obsessed with consi uh, consistency as well, right? So I, I try and find like when I used to blog, I blog every day, uh, and just just how you do it, or every two days. If I broke that, I felt then the, the quality of the blog. So Sunday reads, I've done it for ten years, eleven years now, and I started because it forces me. By the time I pick the five, I've read about thirty to forty articles in the week that are wow. um, all over. And there's an art to how I curate and how I pick the five, and only I know the secret source for that. Uh, so there has to be a mix of like random, interesting, whatever. Um, so that I think has just, you know, I don't get paid for it. It's not, it doesn't do anything really other than forces me to constantly up my game and pick stuff that even hardcore like readers and newsletter subscribers haven't come across. Uh, so I, that I'd say maybe is the most arbitrary. It has nothing to do with anything other than it just forces me to read so widely and I get a kick out of picking articles that I know people haven't found. And, and then it forces me to find like random news. And through that I've learned like a lot of stuff, right? Um, some of it is neither here nor there, but a lot of it has actually improved me in terms of mm. constantly just picking up new things. I've gotten to meet interesting people. Um, I've gotten opportunities actually, because someone's like, I, I just think you're really interesting and now I want you on my board <laughs> because of your Sunday reads. Yeah. Uh, I want you an advisor because I, I, I love your intellectual curiosity, but it's, it's so random. Um, and, and I, I think it's so important, the randomness of it, because, for example, people often ask me, what's the best business book I read, I've ever read? And I actually refuse to give business book recommendations because there's mm, so many out there. I find I get more value from reading fiction about mm. the perspective on the world and the way that things mm. could be, and especially futuristic sci-fi fiction mm. about how the world might look in a million years from now and how it shapes the way that I see world today. So yeah, I'm with you. That random curiosity is just so interesting. When you were starting something or considering a big shift in your career, what is more important to you, the, the detail or the big picture? Oh, I'm totally a big picture person. It's always have in my mind like this is what 
the end should look like and this is these are the things that need to be in place uh not very <laughs> uh interested in <laughs> the minutia if if it's so okay so what's the theory of change you know what's the thesis whatever i'm just like oh god you know uh, <laughs> so then how look, do you work just, towards the detail though Oh my God. Oh, so at same, and maybe this sounds like I'm contradicting myself. I am an execution like ninja, um, okay. which is interesting. So once someone else has said, okay, put down on paper, these are all the different steps and this is the process and there's the approval and this, this, this. Uh, once that's done, like I, I, I get shit done. So I, I don't, mm. so I'm not like a big picture and then, um, I know what you mean, the, yeah. You know, high altitude and looking over and saying, hey guys, how's it going? No, yeah. I, I, um, it, in fact, too, too much in, the words, in terms of execution, I'd say probably in terms of the processes and that stuff in between. So how do I get there? Um, a great team. Uh, I know my weaknesses. I know my gaps. I know the areas if I'm left to me, uh, it, nothing will move. So learning how to get out of my own way, sometimes getting a better sense of where I'm weak uh, and asking for help and then hiring um, folks who are much better <laughs> than me. Key. <laughs> so key. That, that, I'm, that I crap at and, and just get, giving them the space that to, to, to work. So I think it's a lot of it is not just getting out of your own way once you know mm. the areas that you're not uh, really good at and, and then close figuring out how to best close those gaps with others. I'm interested to look back at the Ushahidi founding team and, mm. and think about that big picture because you've got a lot of big picture people in that team who've got a lot of vision about the future but a lot of people like you who are interested in the detail of executing how how did you guys kind of come together and work out what your roles early on um i don't think there was ever a formal like sit down and let's assign everyone just gravitated towards the things that that they were really strong at. I, I was definitely more in the weeds. I remember early on, like I was manually um, just going through all the reports, doing all the approvals, you know, uh, working on all the partnerships, you know, the conversations with us. So Eric will come and would kind of, here's the big visions where I want to go. David was really good at the technical side and the tech and making those ideas come to life. Uh, but I was really in the weeds. And, and the great thing about that is that you got to just really understand the product better. Um, what sucked, what actually, oh gosh, this icon doesn't make sense because I, I probably I was the UX person without any yeah. UX training because yeah. I was always putting myself in the in the eye of the end user. Mm. So if 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 I was submitting a report and this you know this doesn't look how how would you see it from the other side if someone hasn't gotten back to you you know so I was always pushing this you know do SMS let's send a confirmation message because you want to at least acknowledge that you've submitted the report and it's not all 
um, just disappear there, so get back to people. Then I was like, oh, okay, there are also good things happening at the same time as Kenya is on fire. Why don't we start to highlight some of the good things that are happening? Because I've gone into the messages and, you know, it's not all crisis. So can we also highlight the the, the ways mm. people are helping each other, which then led to another product. This, so I think being in the, in all my roles, I always put myself on the other side, even as an investor, um, uh, making sure my team, we always go back to people. If you're saying no, say, early, say no early, uh, where possible, give feedback. Uh, once you've invested in them, sit with them, help them grow. And, and you know, always putting yourself on the other side. I'm on the bank mm. board now and I'm using all the products and I'm like, I don't want to be just those directors who are like, so, yeah. Uh, and so I'm always like, oh, guys, why does the app do this? This doesn't make sense. This, you, you know, and, and they're like, lady, leave I... it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. Please. <laughs> it works, doesn't it? You know, yeah. and so in that way, I think I'm a detail, not in terms of like process, etc. but I'm thinking about who the product that you're either building or starting or the work that you're doing, how is it impacting the end user? That I do get tend to get into the details of that um, mm. because I think it's so quick. Others, what are you doing? Like if you, you know, yep. <laughs> if you don't care about your, either the community that you're serving or your, your customer or your product end user, yeah. Just, just go do some boring people moving, like yeah, <laughs> big business here. bureaucratic stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. So I'm, I'm curious about these concepts of success and failure when people start. Mm. Um, so in my experience, most people don't start something because they're fearful of failure, and most people don't realize they've succeeded because they've never defined success. So I call these my mm. success and failure triggers. So when mm -hmm. I'm mentoring young founders, I ask them, what is your success trigger? What is your failure trigger? So my question to you is when you start something new, do you very clearly define what success will look like? Whether that's in your personal life or business, do you have a clear idea or you just work towards something? I don't have like check boxes of saying, okay, this and this, and we know you get there. I, 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 I'm less like, uh, Success for me is just this is get something out the door and then we'll make it better over time. So, um, you know, it's like shit or get off the pot, basically. Uh, so, if that's, that's my success metric, they get off the pot. Yeah, so it's that. Actually, let me not add oh. more to that. It's just, just shit and or get off the pot, basically. What about the converse? What's your relationship with failure like and how do you define it? Mm. I think, and there are many things that have been great ideas that have died or have killed or whatever, um, that were great ideas in my mind, but clearly not in the minds of other people. If uh, one is if you build something and it's not, there's just no use of it, or there's no something that you thought was a problem, but you didn't spend enough time thinking about it, it was a problem for other people. So I think, and, and that becomes apparent fairly quickly, you know, for me, that's a failure that there was not enough time spent thinking about uh, who else is this a problem for. I think increasingly, sometimes, you know, when you're younger, maybe, I, I find that now it's, it's harder to get started, maybe, um, compared to, 
you know, bef- now I factor in so many things a lot more. Mm. The list of family, kids, mortgage, yeah. you, you know, university. Okay, I have another 10, 15 like, years where I want to work really hard. Uh, is this really where I want to deploy that time? And mm. so it's, it's a beyond sort of building things that are clearly useless to other people. The, the second is, is just the it, it, inertia where you overthink and you end up with something that is so cluttered. Then it's get, it gets harder to have those big visionary moments. Mm. And I think for me, when I sit back and I was like, oh, okay, what was I trying to do? <laughs> trying to do with that mm. those are failures but i get similar to success i don't necessarily have maybe like you kind of you know when would i know this this mm. is bad or when to stop i think generally the universe is pretty good about telling you actually okay. uh, yeah that makes sense so i i've developed this theory called the sacrifice fallacy mm. it's in in a response to the idea of this hustle porn that young startup founders have that they work 18 hours a day they don't sleep they don't eat they don't train they just work i've come up with a response that i call that the sacrifice fallacy the belief that you have to sacrifice your physical and mental well-being to build anything um in relation to that statement what do you think of the concept of work-life balance I think there is this, it's almost like a theater of, you know, business, especially in America. And uh, the way you have security theater in the airport, there's like a totally super productive, you know, I do, I've done X number of things in a day and, and, and. Yeah. Um, and I think having spent time going to school and living in the U.S., it, and it's a drug, eh? you actually then... You feel like you constantly have to fill in your time and your slots and I only have, you know, 10 minutes, make it quick. And I'm like, you know, dude, <laughs> that is never that serious. So I, I think it was one of the benefits of moving back to the continent is I, I think my first year, I, everyone drove me crazy because I was like, guys, come on, chop, chop, let's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And then you're like, what are we, you know, there's enough hours in the day. Uh, 10 hours is a long time, you know, and I read, I think it was an article, when you break it up into eight hour chunks, you're like, actually, you could do eight hours and you still have another 16. And you could sleep, get some nice seven hour, eight hour, you still have another eight uh, Mm -hmm. to do your workout and to, you know, watch your shows on Netflix and to hang out with the kids and to, and that I think has changed my perspective in how I thought a day, you know, that I'm so busy. Um, I've definitely worked and I've improved over time to get, but but it is society forces this, like, as you said, that that fallacy that you just put in the Mm. hours and, you know, I only had three hours of sleep last night and and I'm so busy, I can't do this, I can't exercise and, you know, whatever. Um, and I found actually the more I was disciplined about carving out time, um, <laughs> the more successful I was, <laughs> you, you know, and, and just saying, yeah. okay, when it's work, it's work, when it's home, it's home, uh, when I sleep, get all the devices out of your bedroom, uh, and it's definitely better, but it took a while. And I think, you know, when you're young, maybe it's, it's fine, you can get away with that kind of mm. 
um, and there's no obligations and there's no whatever. So I, I wouldn't discourage if you're younger and if you're like in your twenties, mm -hmm. you have the energy, go for it. Uh, but over time, if you, you're carrying that on uh, into your career and into your business, it's extremely unhealthy. And if you read about people who are extremely successful, they, they don't go crazy, like working all hours. They away. sleep eight hours a night. Yeah. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Or they come out time to, you know, to do other things, whether it's read or, you know, yeah. exercise about. or whatever. Yeah, well, think about taking time off to think about what you need to do to get your business or your yeah. work to the next level. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, a definitely a mistake that young founders make is they work in their business and never on their business. They never give them the, themselves the time to work on their businesses. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Ori, my final question is, what do you wish someone had told you when you were just starting out your career? Oh, that my work won't speak for itself. <laughs> wow please break that out i'm so curious uh so i don't know if this is again a, a woman i think it's definitely women are more inclined to this where we have a very high inability to bullshit right and so we we just think and stories and we're all like you know uh it's, it's going to be so obvious that everyone sees them doing a really good job, right? And so, we, oh. uh, and, and, uh, yeah, and, this, and then you, you kind of just, you know, present your work, I've done the thing, and you're wondering, oh, why am I not getting recognized for it? Um, wow. Or why is someone else getting all the credit for it? And, 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 or why mm. am I, you know, dealing with so, so much aggro and um, doing really hard work. Uh, it, it's, I think, underestimating the need to, to, to own your narrative, put your hand up and say, hey, God, like I did it, you know, um, and to even package your work when you've done it. Like there are all these little things that go into it. I, rem mm. I remember I was, uh, was at Google, I was kind of moaning to one of my mentors. And I was like, oh, you know, it's like, you don't manage. So people know that you're doing the hard work, but you don't communicate it well. Uh, you don't manage up. You don't spend time understanding the people who, you know, what they, uh, whoever it is, is that you need to influence, like what that looks like. So it's this, just thinking that all I need to, wow. needed to do was just do the work. And I think uh, someone gave me really good advice that I, uh, I'll end with. Um, because again, I was like, no, but I, you know, I, I don't believe in like, whatever, managing up and nah, nah, that's not my style. And, you know, why should I have to, this sounds like too much BS. And it's okay. You've, you can decide to throw a party. Uh, but just because you, 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 you've thrown the party doesn't mean that everyone, uh, that people are going to get onto the dance floor. Right, just because you posted. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. So, do you do you, do you want a, a party where people are on the dance floor or not? And invest in time and figure out how you get people to the dance floor. I think it took me way too long to realize wow. that, and it's just how the the world works. Is that you? Mm. Um, professionally or corporate or even in business startups, whatever you have to learn not how to influence um, people around what you want to get done 
uh, whether it's a promotion, whether it's just more uh, responsibilities, etc. And it's not just putting a head down and doing the work is yeah. not enough. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing insight. I guess I think for for guys, maybe it comes a bit easier. I guess like I, I remember <laughs> being uh, doing a peer review. Um, uh, and uh, on a project for a colleague, male colleague. It's a project we both worked on. And my assessment of my contribution was like a paragraph, right? Uh, his <laughs> was like <laughs> two pages. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> and you know, that's that such a great I illustration. Yes, and, and guess who would likely get promoted in a scenario like that, right? Because I had undersold myself, yeah. underestimated things that I thought, doesn't everyone do this? No, not everyone does that. Uh, and after that, I had to like literally make little notes on yeah. everything. I might not use them, but I say, I did this, and I did that, and, I did, and, and it just... You it teach your muscle me memory, right? Natural. Teaching your muscle memory to own the shit that you do. Because it's not exactly. arrogance when you've actually done the work. That's not exactly. arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not faking it and you're not. Yeah. But it just seems very counterintuitive, both as a woman, maybe as an African, you're taught, you know, humility and da 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 and just, you know. Whereas Americans uh, are taught to be bolshy and loud and brazen and aggressive and they're everywhere. Yeah, and, and just even, on, and even on South your Africans narrative. are not like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. And just own your narrative. And I think. Uh, especially for women, um, learning how to, you don't have to go full 100% just all over. Mm. But I think um, owning your narrative, documenting your work and your contribution, and even if you still get screwed over, you, I think, feel much better about what you've been able to contribute in that particular point in time. So that I learned like way too late. So mm. if, if I had fantastic it, advice years ago, yeah, um, yeah, things would be different. Mm. All right. Thank you so much for joining me in closing. I want you to tell my listeners and viewers where they can find and follow you for more great insights. On Twitter, Kenyan Pandit, LinkedIn, it's new to me, but I'm trying to figure out <laughs> how to be a, a thought leader guru type maybe. <laughs> no, but no, LinkedIn, I'm also spending a bit more time there, uh, learning from others and also sharing insights that I come across that are useful. Brilliant. Again, thank you so much for your time. I hugely appreciate it and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for listening to The Curious Cult Show. I am your host, Nick Haralambis. You can find me at nickharalambis.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms. This podcast was edited by Becky Layton and hosted by yours truly.